want to go to children's church, it doesn't matter what age you are, you can go. Uh, children are dismissed. I think dwindles are taking care of that. So for children, you can follow dwindle and uh, enjoy the, that part of the service out there. And it is probably fortuitous that today is children's church. When you do consecutive, executive, consecutive preaching like we do often here, uh, expository consecutive preaching, there are what that does, it, it, it allows you to get the bigger story, but there are sometimes passages that you run into that you think, Ooh, uh, boy, I'm glad I never have to preach that. But it's in the Bible. And so when we don't preach those things, we miss something. Today is one of those passages. Please turn in your Bibles to, or your copies of the Scriptures to Genesis 38. We began last Sunday uh, with the story of Joseph. And most uniquely, interposed right into the middle of this is another story. That's the story of Judah and Tamar. Now, I don't think that this is a mistake. I don't think that um, when the writer of Scripture put it together that he decided to, to, oh, I've got to say something about Judah and Tamar yet and kind of stick it in here. In fact, look with me at the end of verse 37 and the beginning of 39. You have this kind of seamless flow. Joseph has just been sold into slavery by his brothers. The last verse says, Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the story of Joseph continues. But it's it's almost like a parenthesis here. But the writer of the scriptures wants us to note uh, maybe something we've sometimes missed about the story of Joseph. So we'll dive into chapter 38. Now if you read children's literature, thank you Wayne, I appreciate it. If you read children's literature, and particularly I've been thinking of one my friend uh, Greg Hendrickson reminded me, of the Bernstein Bears. Do you read the Bernstein Bears to your family ever? They're great. I love talking bears. But anyway, um, there are over 300 of them. Uh, Interestingly enough, about 40 of them uh, have a clearly explicit Christian theme to them. But uh, one thing about the Bernstein Bears and many other children's stories is uh, at the end of the story... Everything is resolved, and a moral or a safety or an ethical issue is kind of resolved in a good way, right? And they live happily ever after. We know those words because they're often at the end of a children's story. But do our lives really often work like that? You know, there are many occasions in our lives, and I think about your weeks, the weeks that you've had. I think about the Mullet family and I think about uh, some of the stories that I've heard from some of you about your lives. 
And not everything is resolved at the end of the kind of the episode that doesn't, it, it always makes its way into the rest of our lives. And that is what this story of Judah and Tamar is about. Let us read from chapter 38. And it happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adolamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Er. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Jezab when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her, and raise up an offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So, <coughs> so whenever he went in to his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground, so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah my son grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shears and his friend Hira the Adolamite. And when Tamar was told, Your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you, for he did not know she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adalmite to take back the pledge from the woman's woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, Where is the cult prostitute who was at Enam at the roadside? And they said, No cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also the men of the place say, No cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, Let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out, and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, Please identify whose these are, the signet, the cord, and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put his hand out, and the midwife took and tied the scarlet thread on his hand, saying, 
This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. What in the world is that story doing in the middle of Joseph's story? Uh, I'm glad it's children's church today. You might have to do some explaining if it didn't. You might still have to. There are two things I want us to kind of th- see in the principal players, Judah and Tamar, here. And in, the story of, uh, in this story, uh, we want to set a little bit of context and then, and, and then draw some lessons. But Judah, I want us to think about Judah as an insider who wants out of God's family. God has identified the family that he is going to bless the earth through, the family of Abraham. And Judah is an insider that wants out. And Tamar is the outsider who wants in. Uh, Now, let me just set the stage a little bit. As a young boy, Judah had a lot of potential. His name means praise. He is the fourth-born son to to Jacob. Uh, And again, last week we talked about the messiness of the family. So Jacob married Leah, and then Rachel a week later... Rachel was his favorite, but Leah uh, bore the first four children to him. So, so Le- uh, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, and then Judah. Judah is the fourth born uh, of Leah. And then uh, Bilhah uh, g- had Dan and Naphtali. And then Zilpah had Gad and Asher. And then Leah had Issachar and Zebulun. And then finally Rachel had Joseph and Benjamin. Those are the twelve brothers. And, and, and also, uh, he, he, he apparently had natural leadership gifts because he speaks for his brothers. If you go to the, uh, the end of the chapter, th- previous to this, chapter 37, uh, they, they, uh, he is the one who said, uh, let, not the hand of, let not the blood be on our hands. He is flesh of our flesh. So they sold him. He's the one who pushed that. And most likely, he is the one who spoke to his father when, when they took it back when they went back. Um, then they took, they took Joseph's robe and took a goat and clipped and dipped the robe into blood, and then they, they took that back. Now note also that they asked their father a question. Please identify those who these are. They asked their father that, and they hold up the robe. They're almost the exact same words that Tamar says later in this chapter. And it is so true that we, we read the Bible often kind of through a little more Western eyes, but in the Jewish worldview, I actually tried to read some about why this is included and why the Jews put such stock in this. They actually read a portion of this at some of their high holy days. And, and so, uh, and it, it's because there's something about this kind of connection that flows through the story. Now, now just also, uh, why is Judah kind of the spokesman of the family? Now, you know uh, Reuben is the oldest, and he should legitimately lead the family, but Reuben uh, slept with his father's concubine. And Simeon and Levi are next in line, and when their sister is violated, they kill an entire uh, village of, of men uh, when Dinah is violated. And so it kind of falls to Reuben, and Reuben right here proves that he's no better than his brothers. And I'm telling you that this is kind of uh, issues moral issues kind of flow right down through this family. 
all the way down through. Now there is one difference between Judah as, as we're going to find. Uh, Judah took, uh, it also then in, in, verse 30, in verse 1 of 38, it happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers. So he left his father and his brothers. This is a tight-knit group of men who sheep her together and suddenly right after, right after he, he has to go back and speak to his father about, about uh, Joseph, he leaves. And there is also a lot of time that elapsed. Judah is an older man. Judah's in his, at least in his 20s by this time, late 20s. He's not a young, he's not a teenager. He goes down and he marries right away. And, uh, and then uh, in this chapter, about 20 years of time elapses. At least 20 years of time elapses in this chapter. So um, note, note several things. In verse 2 it says... Uh, Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her. Uh, the, the verbs that are used in verse 2, he took her and went into her. That is the very same verbs that are used when Eve sees the fruit and he took, she took it and ate it. And to a Jew, those words mean the same thing. It's like he's saying, I'm participating in the sin of, of doing whatever I want to do to make myself feel good. Now, um, Note also that Judah didn't have a very good relationship with his wife. Did you notice a little bit of emphasis when I read about his sons? He had a first son. His name was Er. She conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Er. So Judah named his son. The second son is born, Onan, and she called his, she called his name Onan. And yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah, Judah was in Jezab when she bore him. Judah wasn't even home when he had the third son. And by the word, the city, the village, Jezab, that is the same word that the Hebrews use for lying. Like you say a lie. And so uh, Judah was in lying when she bore him. Or denial. Or whatever else you want to put in there. So Judah had already removed himself from his, from his family. And then uh, his, his wife died uh, he got over it pretty quick because he, it says he was comforted. And, he, and it, the very soon after that, he went up to Timnah to, with his friend Hira where the sheep shears. And that was an annual celebration. It was like uh, spring break, Myrtle Beach, uh, for all these college students where all this kind of bad stuff happens. And, and Judah goes right up there right after his wife died. So th- that kind of reflects the fact that he was distant and selfish from his wife. And just like... His dad, uh, Judah, refused to, uh, to, did not train his sons. This is the first time that, that in the Bible where it says God struck somebody dead. Um, note in verse, um, and, and Judah took a wife for Er, his, verse 6, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. First time it says that God put somebody to death in the Bible. And so this is not a savory picture. So this family is becoming more and more dysfunctional, and Judah is running. Now, why is Judah running? He's running away from his family, and he, and he blamed his problem on everyone else. Um, and, and so, uh, so we, we also have to kind of cover a little bit, uh, why is it that, that Onan had to go in? And, and why did Onan act the way he did with Tamar? Well, when, when Er was killed, when God took the life of Ur because he was so wicked and evil, that 
Ur is the firstborn. And if the firstborn doesn't have any descendants, it was the, his brother's responsibility to father children by the widow so that that firstborn's name would be passed on. And it's called Leverite Law. And, and so Onan was supposed to, but Onan is the secondborn, and if Ur doesn't have any offsprings, Onan gets what his dad has. So Onan is as selfish as his dad. He goes in, and it's not just because he didn't want to perform the act with Tamar or thought she was ugly or whatever else. It's because he did not want a descendant from there because that he was too selfish. And God, God didn't uh, condemn him. Uh, this is not some kind of... God condemned him for his selfishness, and God saw something in Onan, and so Onan is killed too. And then, now by now you're getting a little suspicious. You know, this, these two men die, and, uh, and Judah says, well, you can have my second, third son. Now, do you really think Judah was prepared to give Shelah to, to Tamar? Absolutely not. Every time they go in and, and they, they have marital relationships, that guy dies. I'm not putting Shelah through that. I have one son left. Judah has one son left. And so the story unfolds, and Judah is, uh, is going down to spring break, and he can't wait till he gets there, and uh, he sees Tamar. It, it, and he, and he, he says, uh, I, I want you. And, and, they, and she, uh, regardless how you want to kind of view it in our modern eyes, he did what he did, and she became pregnant. Now, as I thought about that, and well, then she became pregnant. When she became pregnant... Judah said, oh, um, here's a way to get rid of my problem. He said, kill her. Kill her. And then Tamar says, no, wait. Can I tell you who the father is of my child? Say, yeah, tell me who the father is. Can you imagine this kind of distant Judah standing there on his podium saying, kill her, burn her. She said, can I tell you who the, the father is of this child? And... Uh, to get an object lesson. And she says, uh, yeah, yeah, tell me. And he said, whoever this belongs to. Oops. Credit card and wallet and phone. In that world, the signet ring that they talk about was worn around a man's neck, the scarlet, uh, or the ring, and it was to put his seal on the letters, and it was a sign that he was the patriarch of the family. So I'll pick on Brent. So Brent would have a signet ring, and if Brent sent out any letters, he'd stamp that in, in wax, and when you got that letter, you'd know it came from Brent. It's his family designation, his seal, his, his uh, uh, what do you call it when they have this uh, fancy, uh, oh, come on, uh, somebody's... Uh, Crescent, yeah, whatever. You know, in the medieval times, the families used to have this uh, shield they'd paint, that kind of thing. That's what this is. And, and it's like this moment where this, th- there's this powerful moment right there where Judah looks down and Tamar sh- shows the seal. And, and everyone would have had a staff. A man would have had a staff and he would have bound it with leather. It would have been unique to him. He may have carved into it, may have carved some of his life into it. These are family markers. And he's given them up. He's given them up for one little fling. He's given them up. And, and uh, you know, he thinks he'll get it back, and uh, that's what sin actually does. And so he sends his uh, buddy down with a goat to get his stuff back, and he can't find the woman. And the guy comes back, Hiram comes back, Hiram comes back, and uh, Judah says, well, why did you bring the goat back? He said, well, I couldn't find the woman. And he said, well, I tried. I sent you down there, and you couldn't find her. So suddenly, you know, it's this kind of blame-shifting 
that Judah does. And as I thought about that story a great deal, that is so much the power of sin. And this sin does not start when, when, when Judah decides to sleep with Tamar. It begins all the way back when he decides, when he makes decisions about selling his brother. This is about selling his brother. And, and Judah has lived with the power of that sin in his life. And that the, the words that are used in the Jewish scriptures are, are kind of reflective of that all the way through. So, so when she says, can you identify these? Those are the very same words that the brothers said when they held up the, the coat of many colors for their father. Can you identify these? In that space, they were saying, well, who is... And, and in this space, it's, it's a very... It, it takes his mind right back there. So, so God keeps bringing Judah face-to-face with the fact of who he is. He ran away. Now, Judah does something that is so unique and so different than Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, or his father, for that matter, has ever done. He says, and these are the most powerful, this is the the part of the passage that we need to focus on. Verse 26. Then Judah identified them, it was his credit card and wallet, and said, she is more righteous than I. She is more righteous than I. And in that moment, in that moment, we see the pursuit of God in someone's life who had walked far away. And this is a moment that the New Testament will later call repentance. This is the moment that Judah stops running. This story is in the Bible because it, it, it is clearly about God's amazing grace. That when people move so far away from God, he keeps giving them opportunity after opportunity. But we're not done yet. We also need to think about Tamar. Well, let me just say this yet about Judah. The turning point in Judah's life is when he humbled himself. When he faced up to the fact of what he had been running away from for more than 20 years. She is more righteous than I. In many ways, Tamar was the opposite of Judah. She was the outsider who wanted in. She was not born into a family of God's promise. She was born into a a pagan family. And she meets one of the family of God's promise. The only way I know how to describe is it'd be like growing up in a Buddhist family having never heard of Christianity and the first person you meet who has any connection to the Christian church is the disillusioned atheistic son of the pastor who committed adultery with the church secretary and embezzled half the church savings. Like, do you know, do you know what I'm saying? It's like Judah is that person. He's walking, he's trying so hard to run away from the call that God has placed on, on his family and his life. And, uh, and, and so she marries the son of that. And, and, and the more time Tamar spent with Judah's family, the more she bore the brunt of their dysfunction. Her father-in-law was selfish, distant. Her first husband was killed. The man who came in, uh, second husband, Onan, uh, he finally died too. And, and now she's a widow. She's stuck in her father's house. By the way, it was Judah's responsibility to care for her because she was part of his family by marriage. And he sent her back to her father's house. And she was destined to live there. She was desperate, alone, and abandoned. And, and sh- so she took a risk. 
uh, I'm certain that, that Tamar's motives may have been mixed, but Judah says something very profound when he says, she is more righteous than I. And, and Tamar was righteous because she refused to go back to her pagan background, and she clung to God's promise that God's Savior would come through Judah's family. And she was more loyal to the people of God than even the people of God were to themselves. What we see at the conclusion of this passage in verses 27 to 30, the last four or five verses here, is that God honored Tamar, the desperate outsider who risked it all to get into God's family. We can talk about the route she took. It doesn't have to be perfect. God, I'm not going to speak to that issue, but all I know is that God blessed her, not with one son, but two sons. Now, it's again this kind of mixed up uh, uh, world, uh, and, and God preserved her through a treacherous delivery. Uh, one of my friends said, who had studied this said, it's one of the most medically hazardous presentations possible, locked twins, um, one of whom was in a transverse position because of his ability to get his hand out, um, and either the baby or mother could have easily died, but she, but she didn't. And... <clears throat> And as I, as I thought about this passage, I thought, I wonder if, what the Jews say about Tamar. By the way, this is really fascinating. Psalm 92, which is read every Sabbath day in all Jewish congregations. It is a psalm about the Sabbath. It says this. The English translation of verse 12 says this. The righteous flourish like the palm tree. Do you know what that Hebrew word for palm tree is? Rahab. The righteous flourish like Rahab. Listen to the words. Righteous flourish like Rahab and a palm, a date palm sends out many seeds, and so they would look at that as as she is the mother of all these seeds that make our people. And I, I've been thinking about that, and we can talk about her motive and all that. But what I want to come down to is the fact that Judah was an outsider who was running away from God, and God stopped him. She was an uh, she he was an insider who was running away from God. She was an outsider who so desperately wanted in the kingdom. In that moment where God spoke to their lives, and both of them were willing to repent and give up. And Judah recognized something. He said, she is more righteous than I am. And in this case, the, he understands the oppression that he brought to her and how that oppression had broken her. And he said, I was wrong. And when we can say those words, we have an opportunity to, to become a part of God's family. And I believe that this story of Genesis 37 to to 50, what we have classically taken as the story of Joseph, is about the story of Joseph. And by the way, the next chapter, Joseph gets the same opportunity that Judah had, and Joseph does something completely different with Potiphar's wife. So the two put beside each other are meant for us to take a look at them beside each other. But at the same point, we also need to keep looking at Judah. And when we go to the end of the story, when, when Joseph takes his brothers through these immense tests, and these, these big tests, at the very end, when he identifies Benjamin and said, I'm keeping him here. And he says, you go back to your father, I'm keeping Benjamin. It is Judah who walks up to his brother Joseph, who doesn't know he's alive. And Judah speaks some very powerful words that we'll see in a few weeks, where Judah says, you know what, take my life. I will give my life for my brother." And that moment starts when Judah says, she is more righteous than I am. And from here on out in the story, in the story of Joseph, 
Judah is seen as the good guy. So this story is as much about Judah as anyone else, but it is a Judah willing to repent. And it is no accident that ten generations later, Judah and Tamar's great, 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 whatever grandson would be known as David. And many generations later, from the tribe, from the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah would come to earth. And at the end of the brother's life, at the end of their father's life, Jacob, in chapter 50, when he calls his sons together, and he places blessings and curses on his, on his family, he calls Reuben. Firstborn Reuben walks up to the platform. And he says, you are a weak man. You went in and slept with my concubine. That's wrong. And you never repented. Then Simeon and Levi come. And he says, you are brothers of blood. You took unnecessary life. And then Judah comes. He said, this is the voice of praise. This is a powerful man. And your tribe is going to bless the entire world. But that moment happens when Judah is willing to say, she is more righteous than I. And in our own lives, we face the opportunities to repent every day, every week. And repentance is a journey where Judah had to come. Judah now goes back to his family, apparently. And as he goes back to his family, I wonder what he said when he brought his entire entourage back to his dad and said, you know, Dad, I ran for 20 years. And he becomes the leader of his family. And if you want to become great in the kingdom of God, and if you're plagued by what you've done, and many of us are, think about it. Think about all the bad you've done. But think about the fact that when we're willing to say, she is more righteous than I, or I humble myself, that God then has the opportunity to place his blessing on our lives in ways that we never had before. This becomes a part of Judah's story. Let me close. And you listen to these powerful words about Judah. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down and he crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people." Binding his foal to a vine and his donkey's colt to a choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of the grape. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. These are powerful words that point us forward to the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. And if it were not for Judah's repentance at this moment and his humility in saying, I was wrong. And for Tamar's courage and risk-taking, we would not have 
group of people called the Jews. They're named after Judah. Let's stand. And from that group of people comes our Savior, Jesus Christ. And what we need to understand and maybe take some lesson from this, from this story is no matter what your background, no matter how much of an outsider you feel like you are or if you're an insider running away, if you are willing to say, I am wrong, and in humility, kneel down before God and confess your sins and your brokenness. When that happens, God will honor that. Let's pray. Lord, in a group this size, in a group of people who care very deeply about your ways, there is a temptation for us to run. To run away from the ways of God, the family of God. And there is also a temptation for us to hide behind our good appearances and our proper behavior. Help us to understand how we are all Judas. And how we are all Tamars, too. So we desperately want into your family. We're willing to do whatever it takes to take great risk to be a part of your family. And in those moments, we must humble ourselves, Jesus. Help us and give us grace to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.